Take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 26. I want to talk to you this morning about the peace only God supplies. Verse 3, Isaiah 26 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Father, we thank you today that you are a refuge and strength for your children. You are that mighty, everlasting rock. A strong tower, a rock of defense. We are never alone as your children. You're the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Wonderful Counselor. God, we thank You for the way that You sustain us, You guide us, You give us wisdom from above. I thank You for the benefits that we have as Your adopted sons and daughters through faith in Your Son, Jesus. Father, I want to pray for that one today who does not have that blessed assurance that they would come to know the one who is peace, that they would give their hearts and lives to Him. Father, I want to pray for those believers who are going through trial and tribulations in their life. Maybe right now is a very low period in their life. They may be going through a valley. The way ahead seems dark. God, I pray that you would light their path. Help us to understand today the peace that only you supply. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This age is marked by fear and uncertainty and war. Folks, just think with me a moment about what could have potentially happened in Times Square two weeks ago. Think of what's going on all around the globe as we click on the news and we see the latest headlines and the hot spots of war and conflict across the globe. Some people respond by allowing fear to to grip and seize their lives and become such a dominant factor in them. On August 14, 1989, Time magazine reported the sad story of a man from East Detroit who died of fear. He had taken a number of fur trapping expeditions over the years and had been bitten by his share of ticks. Then he heard about Lyme disease, which is carried, of course, by deer ticks. He became obsessed with the fear that he had been bitten in the past by a tick with the disease and that he had passed the disease to his wife. Doctors tested him and assured him that he didn't have Lyme disease and that even if he did, the disease was virtually impossible to transmit to his wife. But the man didn't believe the doctors. Paranoid because of an abnormal fear of the disease, the man ended up killing his wife and then killing himself. 
The police found the man's mailbox jammed with material describing Lyme disease and a reminder of yet another doctor's appointment and another Lyme disease test. Fear had distorted his sense of reality and consumed his very life. Now, folks, that's certainly an extreme case of fear involving even mental illness and going way beyond what most people experience in their lives. And yet we know that ours is certainly an age of fear and, and uncertainty. And desperate times just about everywhere we look. And the Bible tells us that it's only going to get worse. There's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. We know that the world is is embroiled on many fronts in, in conflict, and that's been the history of the world. World War I was called the war to end all wars, but less than 25 years later, the world was once again engulfed in World War II. Even as World War II ended in utter defeat of the enemies of freedom and democracy, another war began. The Cold War began as an arms race and military standoff between the world's superpowers. The conflict in Korea began less than five years after the surrender of Japan on the battleship USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay. Almost at the same time that the Korean War was being fought by our military forces, there was a little faraway country already embroiled in a fight for its life with the French army. The French were defeated and ousted from that country, and within months, President John F. Kennedy dispatched American special forces to that country, and thus began the longest war in the history of our nation in a little insignificant place called Vietnam. Even as that conflict was closing in 1975, hot spots continued to crop up all over the globe with civil wars and guerrilla wars fueled by the threat of communism. Countries and places that we had not given much thought to became center stage. Places like Panama, Grenada, Kosovo, Somalia, and the list goes on and on and on. And now there is the constant threat that we face every day, terrorism. Jesus said that there would be wars and rumors of wars and yet the end would not be yet. In searching for and desiring peace, we can already see that mankind is being placed in a position to accept anyone in any power that will promise the peace that they seek. Mankind is ripe to be taken in by, by a man that will rise in the last days in the midst of great global turmoil, promising to have the answers for world peace and stability. The Bible refers to such a man as the Antichrist. Who knows, he could even be alive today being prepared for that moment that he steps in and begins his reign of terror. Folks, this world is not going to know peace until Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, rules. But until then, what in the world are we to do? Is there no hope until then? 
Must we just simply kind of grip tightly and and hang on and do the best that we can? Is peace something that is only future tense? No. You see, Isaiah 26 is describing a peace that you and I can have even now. The peace is not found in the world. It is found through a relationship with God because only God is the source of a real, lasting, and abundant peace. And only as we know Him and we're in fellowship with Him and we know Him through Christ will we experience this peace in our lives. I wonder today, is that the peace that you have? Is that the peace that you need? I want you to notice with me, first of all, today, the author of peace. Look with me again at verse 3. The author of peace. In verse 3, the prophet says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We find here that God, Jehovah God, is the source of this wonderful peace. Uh, Psalm 29, 11 says, The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. In John 14, 26 and 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, true peace is something that only God can supply. You see, true peace is much more than the mere absence of conflict. I've known people who had everything going their way in life. They had circumstances to their liking. It seemed like their life went from one mountain peak experience to the next, and yet they did not have lasting peace down in their hearts. But God is spoken of in these wonderful verses as the everlasting strength or literally the rock of ages. I want you to think about that. The rock of ages in the midst of these shifting sands that we see in the world today. A a world that this happens and then this happens and it seems like nothing is stable and everything is cracking or collapsing or falling apart. God is described here as the everlasting rock. He's that tower of strength, that refuge, a present help for His people in times of trouble. And that's what the prophet is describing here first. That God is the author of this kind of peace. But I want you to notice, first of all, to enjoy this peace that he supplies, you have to know the author of peace. I'm speaking of the necessity of salvation. To have peace with God means that you are reconciled to Him. There is no more hostility between you and God. You've been put in a right relationship with God through faith in Christ. You see, folks, the Bible talks about the peace of God, but you're not going to have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Now, at Vacation Bible School, every year we tell the children a very basic plan of salvation. Talking about Vacation Bible School, Kevin and Darren both mentioned tomorrow night in Mount Pleasant at the Cowboy Church. Um, 
we're going to have a big promotion for the uh, VBS this year. And the theme, of course, being a Western theme. And yes, it's true. I'm going to get on a bull. I might be crazy, but I'm going to get on a bull and ride a bull. And it's not a stick bull or anything like that or some little uh, child's bull. I'm going to get on a real bull tomorrow. And like I say, might be nuts for doing it, but I'm going to give it a try. If it kills me, y'all make sure you kill the bull and put the steaks and the hamburger in the freezer for Connie and the kids. But every year at Vacation Bible School, we outline for the children how they can know the author of peace. And they learn a little simple plan of salvation we refer to as the ABCs of salvation. And first of all, in the ABCs of salvation, there is the A. The A stands for you and I must admit our need. We must admit that we are sinners and we have sinned against a holy God and we have transgressed the law of God. And even when we've been on the right uh, pathway, we've still fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says every single one of us are guilty of sin against God. And ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is very clear that if you and I die in that state, if we die separated from God and guilty of sin, that we're going to stand before a holy God one day and we're going to hear those words, Depart from me, I never knew you. And where salvation begins is you and I have to admit that no amount of religion, no amount of morality, no amount of philosophy or whatever it may be that you're trying to get there by, no amount of that will get us to God. You see, there is a great chasm that is fixed between us and God. And without Jesus Christ, we are helpless and hopeless and we cannot save ourselves. And every single one of us need to come to a point in our lives where we realize that we are guilty before God. Somebody says, well, pastor, I've not done all that uh, much bad in my life. In fact, I look over the course of my life and, and I've been pretty good. And that may be true by our standards of judging against one another. But folks, when we judge against the perfect standard, who is Jesus Christ, the Bible says there is none good, there is none righteous, there is none who truly seeks after God. And you and I have to come to a place in our lives that we acknowledge that and we admit that. And then we go on from that to the next point, the B, and that is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that He is who the Bible says He is, and He did what the Bible says that He did to secure our salvation. And we place all of our trust in Him. And the biblical word for belief is a very powerful word. It it literally refers to resting all of your weight upon Him. You see, right now, you may be resting your weight again upon uh, philosophy or religion or the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule, and you're counting on that, that that is going to get you to heaven. And it's not. And so there needs to be a time in your life and my life that we transfer our trust away from whatever we're trusting in and we rest our weight, all of it, upon Jesus Christ and what He did at Calvary's cross to secure our redemption. 
You see, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You remember all those sacrifices for sin in the Old Testament. They were all incomplete. And as evidence that they were incomplete, you see, they covered sin, but they did not once and for all take it away. They were incomplete, and God was giving us a little snapshot of what was going to take place under the new covenant when he sent his son, the perfect sacrifice, to be uh, the one who would die on the cross for us. But all of those had to be redone. And they would just cover sin for one more year until the high priest offered that sacrifice again the next year. And then John the Baptist saw Jesus and he pointed to his disciples and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And those men ceased following John and many of them began to follow Jesus. We've got to believe upon him and him alone for our salvation. Do you believe that? That is essential for salvation. You see, people in the world today say, it doesn't matter what I believe just so long as I'm sincere in what I believe. I mean, after all, aren't there many paths to God? But Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The Scripture outlines one way of salvation, and that was Calvary's cross. That was God's demonstration of love to you. Do you realize that? The scripture says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that was a demonstration, Romans chapter 5 says, of the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad your name can be in that whosoever space? Believe upon Christ. Have you done that? Have you admitted your waywardness, your inability to save yourself, and Christ, and Christ alone is the plan of salvation? And then thirdly, there is confession. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you feel the desire to do this, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working on you. And if you obey the voice of the Lord, Romans 5.1 says that you will be justified. And then Romans 5.1 goes on to say, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, you can have the peace of God by knowing that you have peace with God. You can know the author of peace. You can know Him. And secondly, uh, we see that not only must we know Him, but we must love the author of peace. I'm speaking of the need here for daily intimacy with God. Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all of our mind. Now, folks, I want you to think about this. God is at perfect peace today. God is not up in heaven fretting about anything. 
God is not worried about what tomorrow is going to bring. He is not worried about tomorrow's decisions. He's not worried about what happens on this earth tomorrow. He's not wringing his hands or filled with anxiety about anything. God is at perfect peace. And so as we love God and are walking in the power of His Spirit and filled with His Spirit, we can have a constant supply of His peace because He's with us. As we develop intimacy with God, we discover more and more of His peace. It is like a river of peace that never runs dry. Well, not only must we know Him and love Him, but also you have to obey the author of peace. There's a deep sense of peace that comes from obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And so Jesus promises to manifest himself or show himself to the one who obeys him. One of the things that the Lord manifests to us is His peace. His peace that passes all understanding. Now listen a moment how John 14 continues. In verse uh, 22, the Bible says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so Jesus is talking there about setting up residence and making his home in the life of the one who follows him and obeys him. But you know what so many people want to try to do today? They want to substitute anything and everything in the place of obedience. Remember Saul in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel? They were going to war against the Amalekites and they were waiting on Samuel to show up to offer the sacrifice before they went into battle. And by God's design, Samuel delayed. Saul got impatient. He offered the sacrifice. Samuel showed up and said, What is this that you have done? The kingdom has been removed from you. And, and Samuel told Saul, he said, Saul, you need to learn a lesson. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? And so as we obey, there is that great sense of peace we can have to our lives. I think of the Apostle Paul who got to the end of his life and in 2 Timothy, his swan song, in chapter 4, he wrote to Timothy as he was passing the baton on to Timothy. He said, Timothy, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. You see, folks, there was, there was peace in Paul's life because not only did he know the author of peace and love the author of peace, but he had obeyed the author of peace. And the Bible is holding out that same invitation for you and me today. Now secondly, I want you to see with me the extent of peace. Look again at verse 3. He says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now the Hebrew says, You will keep him in shalom, shalom. 
I want you to write that in the margins of your Bible there. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And literally what the Hebrew text is saying here is you keep him in shalom, shalom. That's the Hebrew way of emphasizing something by repeating it. Now, we don't necessarily do that that much in the English language. So probably your English translation says something like perfect peace or everlasting peace or a complete peace. He says here, you will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. You see, folks, God's peace is not something that kind of just comes and goes, is occasional or intermittent. We are given a peace that is permanent. He says, you will keep. The idea is of a garrison being set around us, a garrison of peace that never, ever ends. Regardless of what the circumstances are in your life, God is able to keep you in a state of peace. Aren't you thankful for that? You might be in a valley You might be going around some dark curves in your life that you can't see the other side. You might be going over some speed bumps in your life. And yet the testimony of the scripture is God is able to give you a peace that does not come and go like the peace of the world. In fact, I want you to notice secondly about that, uh, about this, that we're given a peace that is perfect. Because it is God's peace, it is peace that passes all understanding. We know that the world gives a temporary peace that is based on outward circumstances. In other words, the world is able to give a peace that is fully understandable. When life is good, I have peace. When life is not good, I don't have peace. That's the world's equation for peace. Now that's logical to the human mind, isn't it? We can wrap our minds around that. The world gives a peace that just kind of comes and goes with whatever it is that we're facing on the outside. And so if everything's going our way, if everything's to our liking, then we have peace. But if everything's not, if there's some, uh, some kink that gets in that process, we lack peace. But the peace of God surpasses all understanding. He's talking here about a perfect peace that you have regardless of what you might be going through in your life. Folks, this past week I met with Don and Donna Seeger in their home. And we sat down at their kitchen table. And we talked through some scripture together and we had prayer together. And they told me that what the doctors had said, that that there was really going to be no other treatment that she was going to be seeking and they were just going to keep her comfortable. The pulmonologist said she probably only had till about June. But she looked at me and she said, Pastor, I want you to know I'm not afraid, I'm not anxious. Because I know who I belong to. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm forgiven. And I know that I've got a home waiting on me in heaven. And I'm kind of looking forward to going there and seeing that home. And I'm looking forward to seeing my loved ones who are already there waiting on me. So she said, I'm not afraid at all. There is this tremendous peace that is down in my heart. That's the peace that passes all understanding. That's what God is promising here. 
And God is certainly not promising something that He cannot deliver on. Because all through the Bible, we see the power of God at work. We see the power of God at work in creation. In six days, God said, uh, let there be light or whatever it was He was creating. And the Bible says it was so. And God looked at it and it was good. It was good. So we see God's power being displayed in creation. We see God's power being displayed in the resurrection of Christ. There was Christ in the tomb, dead. He'd been taken off the cross, laid in the tomb, and He was dead. He was really dead. He didn't just simply need to be uh, resuscitated or have some rest. I mean, He was literally dead and had been laid in the tomb. And after three days, what did God do? God raised Him from the dead. And the Bible says that resurrection power of Christ is what's at work in us today. We see the power of God in making the the gospel effectual. When the gospel is preached, it's not simply the words of men spoken in the power and persuasion of, of men. The gospel is the very word of the living God. As it is preached, God sends His Holy Spirit who brings about conviction and conversion, life change. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's, when, that's why Paul, when he had the opportunity to go to Rome and preach the gospel, Paul said, I'm eager to do that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is powerful. I've told you before about Max Pendleton, a a pastor retired now from Belmont who went with South Carolina Baptist to Kenya. And they were walking around telling people about Jesus there in Kenya. And and they had to walk most of where they went and he got really tired. And his his, uh, translator turned around and said, Max tired. And he said, Max tired. And they saw this little man over at a grass hut and he said, can we turn in there? And they turned in there and and Max began talking to that little frail man and telling him about Jesus. And that little man with the crooked finger tried to straighten up his back as much as he could and look eyeball to eyeball with Max. And he said, I'm 104 years old and I've been waiting for 40 years for somebody to come and tell me about this one named Jesus. And now you're here. The power of the gospel. What can do that? The gospel. I was talking Wednesday night after Bible study and prayer uh, 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 after, after Wednesday night prayer meeting and bi- uh, uh, Bible study service and speaking with Arliss Barber afterwards and, and some reason I got home that night and even as I was going to bed that night I got Arliss on my mind and, and, and I know what it was I was, te- I, I was teaching this past Wednesday night on the parable of the soils and we were talking in that message about the, the shallow soil and, and how Jesus said it, it springs up quickly and then dies off because it had no root. Now, folks, i got to make a confession to you. 
When Arliss first got saved and made it public here, I still remember that Sunday, Arliss, that you were, you were right up there instead of right there. And you walked down uh, all the way across there and you came down these stairs during the invitation time. You came down front and you gave your heart and life to Jesus. I still remember that like it was yesterday. But I, but I remember thinking at the time because he was so on fire for the Lord, Lord, don't let him be the shallow soil. I was afraid he was going to be a Roman candle Christian and burn bright for a week or two and then fizzle. I'm glad I was wrong. But you know, I started thinking of how just before Arliss's salvation, he got thrown in jail. He got thrown in jail because of a false accusation by a co-worker. And Arliss says, I'm grateful for that now because when those cell doors closed, Arliss said, for the first time in my life, I was truly humbled before God and a broken man. And through that experience, I got saved. And then the judge saw it for what it was, threw the case out. Arliss was released, of course. And he said, Pastor, I tell you what I'm doing now. I am praying for that man who falsely accused me and I'm telling him about Jesus. And I want to see the day that he's saved. A lot of people would have been angry or unforgiven. But he was praying for that guy. And I'll never forget the week that he called me and he said, Guess what, Pastor? I led him to Jesus. And he's going to be at Pitt Sunday morning and he's going to come down front and he's going to confess his faith in the Lord Jesus. And that Sunday morning, that young man came forward and he stood right here and he faced you and he confessed his faith in the Lord Jesus and then he asked for Arliss's forgiveness and this church's forgiveness for falsely accusing Arliss. Now folks, that's the power of the gospel. Amen? God is able to do what God says He can do. God is able to do exactly what He says He can do. I think too of what the Finks went through last year. I remember Easter Sunday last year and and David and Brenda being told at Duke, your daughter is not going to make it. We've all conferred in the pediatric intensive care unit and we all are of the same opinion that Brianna simply cannot live. And tomorrow we will be unhooking her from the machines. And I got on the phone that day with our mission group that was down in Honduras. And I said, Kevin, when y'all are meeting tonight for Bible study and prayer, you need to gather everybody together and you need to pray for the thanks and you need to pray for Brianna because they're saying that she's not going to make it. And Kevin said, Scott, I know as the host of that camp, as she began praying... And she was taking Brianna before the throne of grace. He said, when she got done praying, he said, there was a peace in my heart from God that I knew Brianna was going to be okay. They unhooked those machines the next day and she began to flourish and she's with us today. Amen. Folks, what am I saying? What I am saying is when God says that He gives us peace that He is able to give you a perfect peace that passes all understanding. What I'm saying is God is able to deliver on His promises. God is able to do exactly what God's Word says He's able to do. He's proven Himself time and time again. Amen? Now, thirdly, I want you to see the way of peace. The way of peace. 
He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Now how can this wonderful peace be ours? Well, in verse 3 he says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Folks, it is within the area of our minds that unrest and turmoil and fear begins. What does the devil do? The devil begins working on our minds. He begins working on our thoughts. He tries to convince you and me that God really doesn't love us or care about us. He tries to convince us that God cannot be trusted, that God is not going to look after you and your family. He wants to get us fretting about this or that, or He wants to convince you that it is a waste of time for you to pray about your needs. That's why Ephesians 6 says we're to put on the helmet of salvation, because the devil attacks our thinking. But to stay our minds in simple trust upon Jehovah God, he says here, is to know perfect peace. I want you to notice what these verses say about the key ingredients in all of this. First of all, uh, he talks about a mind that is focused on God. The Bible says if we keep our mind focused and fixed on God, he is going to bring us peace. Far too often Christians fall apart with worry and distress and fear and anxiety because they've not kept their minds fixed on the Lord. We're like Simon Peter who stepped out of the boat and then once he saw the crashing waves, what happened? He began to sink. Now folks, the crashing waves were there all along. But as long as Simon Peter kept his eyes fixed on the Lord and his mind fixed on the Lord, he was okay. But when he took his focus off of Jesus and he put his focus on the crashing waves around him, that's when he began to sink. I wonder how many are here today that in their lives they don't have peace because you're beginning to look at all of those crashing waves around you. Oh, you know you belong to Jesus. When I was talking about the author of peace a moment ago, you know you've made your peace with God through faith in Christ. You know you're saved. You know your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. There is no doubt in your mind about that. But at the same time, you know that today, because of whatever is going on in your life, you're sinking. You're looking at all those circumstances of life around you right now instead of keeping your focus on God. You've got Simon Peter syndrome. And folks, let's be honest. We've all been there and done that and got the t-shirt, right? We know what it is to start out with our mind focused on the Lord and then we take our eyes off and we begin to flounder and we begin to sink. And you know what we need to do? Somehow or another, we need to, to get our uh, focus shifted back to the Lord. A mind stayed on Him. 
Now that doesn't mean that you just think of Him all day long and don't get any of your other responsibilities in life done. He's talking here rather about a mindset. It's kind of like when the Bible says that we're to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that we go around all day on our knees with our eyes closed and our hands folded and not doing anything. It's referring to a mindset of prayer that whatever we're doing... Where prayer is kind of like breathing in and out. There's that mindset. Well, you know what he's saying here? All through the day, we need to have that mindset of keeping our, our, our focus on the Lord. Regardless of what our circumstances are in life, our mind needs to be stayed on Jehovah God, and we need to know that greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. What do you need to do throughout your day? Throughout that difficult relationship at work that's trying your faith. Throughout maybe some financial collapse or job collapse or or some calamity going on in your home right now. What is it that you need to do in your life to keep your mind focused on God throughout the day? Are you still going to be facing that trial and test and tribulation? Sure, until God says enough is enough and He brings out, He delivers you out of that one way or another. You're still going to have to face that. He doesn't take all of our problems away, but if we keep our mind stayed on Him, He promises to the believer a peace in Him. So what do you need to do to get your focus stayed on Him? Secondly, I want you to notice here a heart that is trusting in God. In verses 3 and 4, we see that the word trust is a key. I think of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 that says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust. I think also of David in in the third psalm. Uh, Here was David on the run from his very own son Absalom. Absalom has stirred up the mobs against David... And they're pursuing David to put him to death and install Absalom as the new king. As David flees, the people are shouting. They're saying there is no help for him in God. Can you imagine people saying that? There is no help for him even in God. That's what everybody was shouting to David. That was the voices that he was hearing. David then says, Lord, you are a shield for me. And David went on to say, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Now, folks, think about that. Here's somebody pursuing him to put him to death, to take his life. And you know what he says? I lay down and slept like a baby. Why? Because, God, you're that shield. You're that refuge and strength. You're that everlasting rock that's how that happens folks it's because of the peace God gives us when we trust in him you see God wants us focused on him trusting in him trust involves patience we have to believe that God is working out his plan we've got to trust his sovereignty that he knows best and trust likewise involves courage we've got to act on what God tells us to do Back to Peter a moment. Peter stepped out of that boat when Jesus called him. Courage. To trust, we've got to be willing to be corrected and taught by God's Word. We can't say we're trusting in God if we're not allowing God to correct us by His Word and discipline us. 
And then in trust, we've also got to be willing to lay everything before Him in prayer. What Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? He said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't tell me that you're trusting God if you do not put petitions before God in prayer. Because one of the ways trust in God is going to be expressed is every day we're going to be going before God. Whatever burdens we have, whatever joys we have, Whatever needs we have, we're going to be placing those before the throne of grace, praying about those things. And that reflects a heart that's trusting in Him. How long are we to do this? Isaiah 26 says here that we're to do this forever. It's like the song uh, song says, Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as He promised perfect peace and rest. I want to ask you this morning, is that the kind of peace that you have? Perfect peace. Remember where I said it starts, with that relationship to God. If you don't have peace today, go back and spend some time examining that relationship with the Lord. Have you settled that issue? Do you know the author of peace? Do you know that you know the author of peace? Have you admitted that you're a sinner, believed upon Christ, confessed Him as Lord and Savior, and you've seen Him change and convert your life? You know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Folks, that's always the place to begin. Have I made that decision? Have I made my peace with God? If you know you've made that peace with God, you see, oftentimes, even with Christians, circumstances can rob your peace. Maybe you would need to confess today, God, I'm looking at everybody and everything around me instead of at you. I need you, God, to help me put my gaze back on you and fix my eyes and my thoughts back on you. Would you help me do that today? You may want to come to this altar in just a moment and say, God, help me do that. All these waves are crashing around me and I've started looking at that and I need to look at you again and I need your help, God. Is your heart trusting in God? You know, it's a lot easier to trust in things that we can see. But we need to trust the sovereign hand of God even when we can't see. God may be taking you through something right now that you just need to confess, God, I don't know what you're up to here. I don't know what you're doing. But I know I belong to you. I know I'm walking in fellowship with you. And so whatever I'm going through in my life has first of all been sifted through your loving hands. I don't see tomorrow, but you do. I don't see that plan in all this, but you've got a plan because your word says so. So God, help me simply to hang on to you and trust you. Because if I hang on to you and trust you, as Psalm 23 says, He leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We may not know the way, but He knows the way. Amen? Maybe today you're allowing Satan to rob you of your peace and joy because you're forgetting God's promises. 
And you need to get back today to putting on that helmet of salvation and keeping your mind focused on God, your heart trusting in Him. And you need to hide His promises in your heart. He'll give you strength and help to do that as well. Again, He's that everlasting rock. We live in a day and age where everything's changing around us so rapidly every day. It's hard to even keep up with everything. But we know the one who is that rock, that mighty defense for his people, that shield. And as the scripture says, if you place your trust in him, you will not be disappointed. And you place your trust in him, and regardless of what you're going through in life, He's able to give you that perfect peace that passes all understanding. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. The wonderful promise here, the hope that this passage holds out for us. I pray for that believer who is struggling. They're looking at their life right now, their their circumstances in life, and they're despairing. Because they're like Simon Peter looking at those crashing waves. Lord, help them to keep their eyes on Jesus. You'll give them the wisdom to make it through those crashing waves and to come out on the other side. Lord, I pray for that one today who does not know the author of peace that today would be the day they would come forward and say, Pastor, tell me more about a relationship with Christ. I need to begin there. I've been trying to bypass first base. And I need to cover first base. I need to give my heart and life to Jesus. Give them courage in just a moment to step out. For that one who needs a church home because they're trying to fly solo and do everything without the fellowship of God's people. Lord, draw them out this morning as well confessing that they need a church home. They need other believers who can encourage them and pray for them. Lord, as we sing, we just simply ask that you would speak to the hearts of your people. We pray in Jesus' name.